bishop wears buttless chaps. This could be for you. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today on another exciting installment of Steve Made a Game Show, otherwise known as Smags. Today, we'd like to welcome Alex to the show. Alex, welcome aboard. Thank you, Steve. Uh, great being here. Uh, got a lovely audience. I love the studio. Uh, the pastries that we had beforehand, kind of waiting for us in the dressing room, that was a nice touch. But Ooh, uh, Those weren't pastries. <laughs> but um, Appreciate the compliments and appreciate having you here. So to, to refresh your memory, you are a part of Steve Made a Game Show. Uh, we abbreviate it to SMAGS here, and it is a podcast game show. We do three rounds. Round one is going to be the question round. I've curated three categories specifically tuned to your tastes. We're going to do three questions about those. The audience will get to know a bit about you and what makes you tick. After that, we'll move on to the persuasion round. In there, I'm going to give you a prompt. And using all those impressive rhetoric skills that you picked up at the Dakota High School Honors English Classroom, <laughs> the very best, most impressive persuasion that you can give me on this topic. So. We'll, we'll wrap up about that for a little bit, and then the ending round will be the lightning round. We're going to move as fast as we can in a 45-second time frame to give as many answers as you can to a given topic. And from there, we'll total up your score. We'll throw you up on the leaderboard, and we'll compare you to past and, and probably future guests as well. Okay, I am ready for the challenge. Great. I'd just like to start the show off by reminding everyone that we are sponsored today by Sprite Zero Sugar. Stay tuned in between rounds to hear what they have to say. Ooh. All right, Alex, and we are now in round one. Okay. We've got three categories waiting for you. We'll go at your own pace, so whichever kind of is calling to you, let me know, and we'll, we'll dive in there. Three questions each. They're valued at 50, 150, and 250 points. Okay. Your categories are board game scenarios, speed ran video games. Interesting. For those that don't really know, a speed run is, is a format of video gameplay in which the player is not so much interested in uh, exploring or necessarily enjoying the game, but it is a pure race to the finish and get the lowest possible time as you can achieve. Yes, for those of us who had 100 plus hours logged into Ogre Battle 64, Person of Lordly Caliber, the ultimate goal was the reverse of that for speedrunners, so not quite what I was doing there, but please, the final category, Steve. That would be 2009 slash 2010 in film. This is a big year for you. I know for me, for movie theater attendance, listeners now might have you know resigned to a streaming platform. Perhaps they watch on the go in their pocket, but uh, 2009, 2010, peak years to go spend your money and sit down in preferably an MJR theater. And your money then was $4.50 for a matinee. Uh, theaters have changed a little bit since then, but boy, were those the days. Where would you like to begin? Let's see. So, you know what? I think uh, I'll take it in the order that you presented to me. So we're going to start with that first category. Okay, we begin with board game scenarios for $50. So here's a scenario. You're playing a game of chess, and your opponent declares their move is to en passant. Describe what your opponent is about to do. So uh, your opponent is moving their pawn piece diagonally towards yours. So it happens when two pawns are kind of adjacent to one another vertically across the table. 
And so it's sort of a diagonal move that still counts as taking the piece, but prevents that deadlock that can kind of happen. It's sort of a, a, a move that is popular in some areas of the world in chess and less popular in other areas of the world, especially when one of those areas of the world is a field trip, an 8th, 10th grade field trip maybe, if I recall, to some kind of science museum of some kind uh, with, gosh, was it was a good old Hinson that... Uh, <laughs> was uh, leaving some opponents flabbergasted at the table. Anyway, this is kind of a long answer to the question, but that is my response to what an enpassant is. It's a Hinson. I think we're blurring some timelines there. I'm pretty sure we didn't meet Hinson until 2011, if I recall. Um, okay. Probably should dock a point or so for that. But the gist of where you were going on that, I'm going to give you 50 points because I could follow every, everywhere else you were going. It was out of 50, so full points. It's that pawn when they're kind of butted up against each other and you can slide over to capture the pawn. Yes, yes. Uh, very French. E extremely so. Would you like to move on to board game scenarios for 150? I would indeed. Okay, so we're playing this just straight classic Jeopardy. You respect the game and I respect your respect of the game. So you're playing Love Letter and in your excitement, you drop the entire deck to the floor. What are all the different cards you pick up? Let's see. I pick up. I uh, do so. Uh, a clarification for this one: Do you also need to know the amount of each card that gets picked up? You do. Uh, for you know, for you as the player, maybe other players wouldn't necessarily be able to put all that together. But I am tasking you with it. Very well. So I uh, we have one princess. We have one countess. We have one king. We have one prince. We have two handmaidens. We have two barons, we have two priests, and if I remember correctly, there are five guards? Go with five? Uh, or is it another? Oh gosh, maybe it's just the two. Maybe it's just the two. I, I'm confusing this between the, the four-player love letter and the eight-player love letter, so I'm going to stick with the four-player love letter. I'm going to say it's two. So it's five guards. It was five guards? No! But I really was just kind of uh, toying with you at that point, because it's also two princes. Oh, it's two princes? Oh, no. Where'd the second prince come from? I, oh, a singular okay. princess, but a duo prince. Okay, but one countess and one king. Okay, yeah. I, I won't take the money for that one. Jeez Louise. Darn close, but uh, you came to play on hard mode, so we have to respect, I did. respect the game here. Now, speaking of hard mode, uh, we have board game scenarios for 250, and this is another volume question. It's not necessarily going to really rack your brain in terms of something you don't necessarily remember, but it's can you remember all of the scenarios? So here we go. You're playing a game of base set dominion, and you draw a hand, keep track of this, copper, estate, silver, chancellor, woodcutter. Explain to me all 15 choices you have with this hand, and be as thorough as possible. Note, you can purchase treasure or victory cards. So let's see, um, I'm looking at five to spend, um, one from the copper, two from the silver, uh, two from the chancellor, and oh crap, is, actually, is, I'm trying to remember, so woodcutter is plus two, or plus one buy, and, oh gosh, oh boy, okay, here we, oh man, oh, okay, here we go, okay, you know what, uh, oh boy, 15, you said, 15? possibilities with this hand 15 unique possibilities 15 unique possibilities okay you're a dominion player so you know that you don't necessarily have to utilize all of your treasure at once uh, and that'll be the last sort of clarification i offer 
Let's see. I am trying to remember the secondary effect on the Chancellor. So Woodcutter, as I'm remembering, is plus, plus one buy, plus two to spend. So I've got a Copper, I've got two from the Silver, I've got two from the Chancellor, and I've got two more from the uh, uh, Woodcutter. I could do Copper, Silver chancellor and you know pick up uh pick up something from the board um i could do uh, is are you gonna offer an additional clarification sure sure so i guess in terms of what we're looking for exactly what you described you play those three cards what um what outcome what purchase can you make again we're not going to say that there's any other actions out there but in terms of treasure or victory cards that you can purchase Oh, sure, sure. Okay, I see I see what you're saying. So I could uh, pick up uh, an estate, duchy, silver, or copper, but only one of any of those if I do the copper, silver, chancellor. Is that, is that yes. a little bit so more that what you're would, looking for? Yes, so that would clarify uh, four unique instances of the possible 15. Okay, whereas if I did copper, silver, woodcutter, um, having the extra buy but the same amount to spend, I could do... Silver and estate, I could do duchy and copper, I could do estate and copper, I could do silver and copper, I could do double copper. Gosh, uh, how many am I at now? I've been keeping track of the uniquely numbered instances, so four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine? Okay. I could just drop the copper and pick up a copper. I could drop the, the silver and uh, pick up an estate or a copper. I, uh, that puts me at 12. I could just uh, I could play the, the Chancellor and just the Chancellor, not not any of my treasure, and uh, pick up an Estate or a Copper, or I could drop the Woodcutter and no other treasure, uh, pick up an Estate and a Copper, just an Estate, or double Copper. And that is, I think, everything I can come up with. Hand up a Smag's production team. Maybe didn't necessarily lay out all the scenarios in terms of... <laughs> Using just treasure versus using action and treasure. Okay. Um, there's a couple. You did not say just buy a silver with your silver or just buy an estate with your silver. Okay. Okay. But you did list some other combinations that I didn't necessarily have. So um, I, I call it a wash maybe. <laughs> yeah. You know what? We'll give you 125 is straight down the middle. It, it solves the riddle that we're working with here. Down the middle does solve the riddle, yeah. And we'll call it good on board game scenarios. <laughs> Rough category to start me off with. Oh, man, I was not expecting some of these. Oh, Smacks is not for the faint of heart. However, as we move into speedrun video games, I think that uh, the audience might be just tut-tutting the, the game master for even writing out this question. Here you go for $50. Ogre Battle 64 wasn't a commercial success, though it found a following among a small but devoted fan base. Notably, the game's title isn't merely Ogre Battle 64. It contains a subtitle. What is the subtitle? Person of Lordly Caliber. <laughs> it was uh, uttered just in the introduction of the category. So uh, in terms of <laughs> fine-tuning categories for your interests, I think I hit a home run on that one. Uh, but we move on to 150, and hopefully I can give you a stiffer challenge. So Resident Evil 4, unlike Ogre Battle 64, achieved wide commercial success upon its initial release. The driving environmental force of the conflict in the game is its zombie-creating virus that goes by which name? Las Plagas. That's correct. Points, an awfully timely question for when we're recording this. Ooh, yes. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, not not going to name any names, but uh, at least we haven't quite hit the point where a virus with a vaguely Spanish-sounding name has uh, resulted in strange tentacled beings bursting out of people's heads and chests. We can confidently say that. Yes, yes. All right, and the last clue for this category, we're going to Banjo-Kazooie. Of course, of course. So Banjo-Kazooie's level, Treasure Trove Cove, boasts one of the N64's most iconic soundtracks with its plinking marimba melody. It also features interactions with a number of crustacean and seafaring side characters. Name for me at least two of these characters. I've got five possible characters that are named that you interact with in Treasure Trove Cove. Uh, the speedrunner, I know he is someone who usually breezes through dialogue, but perhaps this was a perceptive speedrunner that tried to remember a name or two. Okay, okay. Um, Nipper is an easy one to remember. Um, Nipper is the, the giant crab in the shell that, uh, yeah, you gotta shoot an egg into his eyes to get him to go into the shell. And... I'm remembering, I, I'm trying to remember his name. I remember the name of the ship is the Salty Hippo, because um, it's a very good name for a ship. I want to say it's Blubber is the name of the captain that goes, Whoa, hey! uh, the most iconic um, sound effect to come out of uh, uh, Banjo-Kazooie. And that's an iconic sound effect game. I think we can agree. <laughs> Nailed it. Got him one. Well, uh, you your hunch was correct. We're, Captain Blubber was one of the choices we were looking for, so well done. Okay. You, you didn't really say him with his title, but you called him the captain of the ship, and his name was Blubber. Uh, Captain Blubber. Yep. Captain Blubber. Uh, if I remember correctly, um, in order to drain uh, the water um, in the in the Sandcastle area, you do need to fart some eggs into Leaky. The the bucket would that count? It, it would have uh, counted to make up for the captain. Okay. Leaky bucket is some icing on top of that cake. Uh, we would have also accepted shrapnel the mine, uh, grumpy old mine, and then snacker the shark. Uh, actually, one of the first instances of my fear of the deep ocean was caused by by snacker the shark. Uh, that was eventually capitalized in later games like Grand Theft Auto Five, where you can drop yourself in the middle of the ocean and actually get eaten by a much more realistic shark, but. Uh, it all began with Snacker back on the old 64. That brings us to the uh, the last lap. We are at 2009, 2010 in film. Would you like to begin at $50? I would like to begin at $50, yes. Okay, I'm going to take you back to yesteryear. In fact, it was over 10 years ago. Christmas Day, 2009. Okay. The fourth highest Christmas Day box office gross of all time belongs to this movie, released on Christmas Day, 2009. Was that Avatar? The guess of Avatar is incorrect. No, Avatar came out, I believe, earlier December. We were looking for uh, a DVD that wait, got, wait, 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 got a before... lot of mileage in your household. Okay, okay. I was going to say, before before you say it, give me, give me a second. That was just my, my first hunch. But um, d- December, so released December 25th, 2009. Correct. So you're looking at your family probably picked up that DVD late senior year of, of high school. What was a popular, maybe springtime school's winding down but we've got this specific disc that's going in the player i'm trying okay i'm just trying to think of some 2009 movies right now okay i i'm trying to remember i remember sherlock holmes was a 2009 movie i don't remember if it actually came out in december but that's the only other i remember it being later in the year so i'm gonna go with sherlock holmes as my secondary guess if i can get a halfer on this one 
If only it was your primary guess, because it was Sherlock Holmes. Uh, oh, darn it! No. We are not awarding any more halfers at this point. Oh, jeez. Uh, you are awarded no points. No halfers for this heifer? Oh. You will have to uh, live with this for the rest of your days. Indeed I will. Okay. Okay. I was trying to remember who I saw it with, and I, I in my head, it was, it was, you know, I'm now that I'm thinking about it, it may have been with Eric Bettinger, which would have made a lot of sense for 2009. Shout out to Eric. We got to get you listening to this. It's great. We got to get you on this show at some point, Eric. But uh, yeah, anyway, I, I relent my time. Organic growth. You just never know what you're going to find when you're listening to Smags. You yourself might be called out and therefore brought onto the show. Exactly. Here we go for 150. Which actor who would later appear in the Marvel Cinematic Universe played the role of an antagonist in Hot Tub Time Machine? Classic spring 2010 film. I'm pretty sure Sebastian Stan is one of the the sort of kind of bro thugs in uh, in uh, that that's obsessed with Red Dawn. I want to say Sebastian Stan as Winter Soldier. Am I correct? We were looking for Crispin Glover. Oh, wait, nope. nope sorry, breaking news. No, Crispin Glover was not Winter Soldier. Yes, you're right. It is Sebastian Stan. <laughs> Sebastian Stan for 150. Crispin Glover as Thanos in. That was him. Uh, yeah, that was. Oh, no, 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 that was exactly. not him. I, again, I slipped oh, up there. But, uh, you got the point. Uh, the fam- he played uh, Hela in Thor Ragnarok. Crispin Glover, if I'm not mistaken. Versatile actor. He did not get his Marvel payday, but you did get your 150 points. You're, you're doing very well. You're humming along here. You're at $775 for your points. Uh, you're, you're up for 250 so you can cross the $1,000 mark if you get this question right. Who else but the A-Team? The A-Team's storyline features a dizzying display of deceit and double crosses between three parties. You've got the A-Team, the CIA, and a private military contractor firm that goes by what name? I, uh, it, okay, okay, give me a second, give me a second, because it's got one of those, like, like, black, it's not black water, because I think black water might have been the real one, but it was one of those, uh, Black Forest, Black Forest. Black Forest Ham. Yes. There you go. Yeah, black Forest Ham, indeed. You're at $1,025, Smags Coins, if you will. Impressive start to uh, an inaugural round in Smags. How do you feel? I am still a little angry for the rocky start in the board game category and a couple missteps along the way from some quickly fired off answers. Of course, of course, Avatar was you. You know my distaste for Avatar, and you would have not you would not have made Avatar an answer to one of these questions. But uh, I, I will recover in uh, in the second round. And with that, we'd like to kick it over to our sponsors for a few words that make a show like this possible for viewers like you. The following skit is for comedic purposes only and does not reflect a sponsorship of the discussed product. The views and opinions expressed by this podcast are not endorsed by the following company. This is not a paid advertisement. Mmm, that's good. What is that, you ask? That's Sprite Zero Sugar, lemon lime, soda, 100% natural flavors. Zero calories per can, 7.5 fluid ounces, or 222 milliliters for you across the pond. A product of the Coca-Cola company that, for some of us that don't want to become, you know, ill, diabetic, uh, sugar-dependent, buzzed late at night, we can turn to a can of, of soda, soda pop, pop, if you will, that reliably has zero sugar. It says so right on the label. Some of you may be familiar with absolute zero and the Kelvin temperature scale. That itself can be applied to the can of Sprite Zero Sugar, at least in terms of a measurement of its sugar content. Glucose fans, you are not welcome here. 
This is for those of us that would prefer to sip something that's perhaps less than 2% citric acid and want to support the Atlanta, Georgia staple Coca-Cola company. A refreshing, light, and healthy, arguably or perhaps inarguably, beverage. That's Sprite Zero Sugar. All right, Alex, we are on to round two. So here we go. This is, again, it's something that I think you'll be passionate about. I think it'll play on some of your... Don't mind that burp. That is from a product that might have sponsored this show. (laughs) You have to leave that in now. It is technically part of the ad. I think you're going to be very excited for this. Uh, It's going to merge a couple things that you're excited about, and I want you to, to really draw into the well the reserve of knowledge that's sitting in the back of your brain. So here we go. Famously... Frasier actor Kelsey Grammer has guest starred on The Simpsons as character sideshow Bob, the aggrieved and homicidal former sidekick of Krusty the Clown. Now, Kelsey's Frasier co-stars David Hyde Pierce and John Mahoney, who played Frasier's brother and father respectively on the sitcom, were even brought on to voice sideshow Bob's brother and father respectively. The Frasier to Simpsons crossover, it's critically acclaimed and it aligns quite nicely with your TV sensibilities. Alex, for round two, I want you, and it could dwell on these actors as well, but I want you to align characters in the Frasier universe with characters in the Simpsons universe. So give me the equivalent <laughs> character uh, that are proxies of each other on Frasier and in Springfield. So let me, I think I think what might be easiest for me here is to um, grab onto a Simpsons character and then immediately just find the Frasier analog that's just already sitting right there in my brain. Let's see. So... Uh, how about Disco Stew? Disco Stew. <laughs> uh, I, okay, so uh, if I if I have to um, compare Disco to, Stew to somebody, I think it would be uh, Kirby, Lana Lendley's uh, son, who has the, the, the youthful energy of a Disco Stew and the rare appearances of uh, of a disco stew that actually kind of takes it almost takes the show out of a, a family dynamic a little bit more and into uh, sort of a, a new generation a younger generation maybe not necessarily that disco stew is of a younger generation but he's got that youthfulness to him that uh, i think really speaks to episodes like juvenilia of uh, of fraser in uh, season nine which uh, featured um a uh, it was a, a Kirby cameo appearance in that episode, so I would say I would say Kirby is kind of the the disco stew of um, the Frasier verse. I'm sold, and uh, it had nothing to necessarily even do with that uh, dialogue, but more so just the hairdo. Kirby's got a fro. It looks like, according to Google. Yep, that is that is true. Um, that might have been where, the original reason why my mind jumped there, but. Uh, in fact, I'm not ex- exactly too familiar with Disco Stew as a character, but in terms of the overall looks, I think I nailed it. So I'm gonna g- I'll give you another Simpsons character, near and dear to my heart, comic book guy. Oh, so I think the the easy one would uh, have to be Noel, and in fact, I don't think there is a, another option besides Noel, the uh, lovable Star Trek fan of the KCL office. That. While a comic book guy uh, and Noel kind of differ in the way that Noel has at least a, a few redeeming qualities about him where uh, I don't think comic book guy ever really ascends above slob, there is, there, um, the moment in Frasier when, yet again, uh, Star Trek is derided in front of Noel as just a TV show, and uh, Noel reminds Frasier that so was Brideshead Revisited, 
To which Frazier responds, you're angry, so I'll forgive that. Um, that kind of backbitingness of uh, um, not willing to accept the insults that have been hurled to uh, that which he, that area of nerddom that he holds most dear. And he, the, the single quote that I will leave that I think perfectly sums up the two of them as counterparts of one another is, A man named Gene Roddenberry had a dream. And that's the end of that quote because he gets cut off, but... <laughs> That is my argument. Noel is uh, is comic book guy in the Frasierverse. Given the same sort of uh, regard and attention that, that Mr. Comic Book Guy gets in Springfield. Exactly, yes. Sounds spot on. <laughs> Let's go with another, and, and, I, and it might be Marty, but maybe it's even someone adjacent. How about Chief Wiggum? Where can we find him on Frasier? It's funny that you mention uh, Chief Wiggum. I had a couple characters bouncing around in my head. One, not so much their their position, but I just, seeing Chief Wiggum, I kind of think of a Kenny Daly a little bit, but I don't think that's the right one. I think that was just looking at the rotundness of their respective bellies and kind of going to the same place. But I, I think that the more apt comparison is one of Martin's cop friends. Uh, his name is Frank, and he shows up in a few episodes and... I think they only actually call him by Frank in the first episode that he appears in, which is uh, You Can't Judge a Crook by His Cover in Season 1. But he is a, a police officer. You know, he is a, a heavier set guy. Um, but if anything, it's uh, it's more the accent. that He's got a little bit of, uh, not the, the squeaky nature of the, the Wiggum's voice, but he's a character that's sort of characterized by that accent. He sounds like a... I, I almost want to say a Gotham City detective because he did actually play a role in uh, The Dark Knight, um, 2008's The Dark Knight, uh, as a, a cop that ends up getting shot by Two-Face. Yeah. <laughs> i just like for the audience out there to know that this, this is independently being audited and validated. This is actor Ron Dean, starring yeah. as a character named Wurtz, W-U-E-R-T-S, in The Dark Knight, 2008, and also appeared in Frasier. Namely, in the episode, you can't judge a crook by its cover. So yeah, I, I think uh, both of them are also more than a little bit uh, suspicious of other people. And if there's one thing that we can count on Chief Wiggum for, it's for his ineptitude when it comes to trusting the innocent civilians of uh, Springfield to actually come to him with real and legitimate problems. Like one of my favorite moments when um, Marge uh, presents Chief Wiggum with the death threats that Sideshow Bob is sending bart and chief wiggum simply responds that oh you know sending threatening letters to your son isn't really a crime and marge responds yes it is and he looks in the book and by god she's right <laughs> but, uh, i i think i've gone a little overboard in making my case here but i think chief wiggum is frank we're looking for overboard we're looking for beyond thoroughness and especially when you get to a character that quite literally according to imdb appeared in three unique episodes of Frasier that you can just immediately plug in as your chief Clancy Wiggum. <laughs> so the one that I was kind of hoping to find an analog for was Lionel Hutz. And uh, it's been sitting in the back of my head since the beginning of this. And there aren't, in terms of lawyers on, on Frasier, there are a couple, but I don't, I'm not going to put Donnie and Lionel Hutz in the same wavelength uh, simply because Donnie is a competent lawyer whereas Lionel Hutz is not. So I think what in looking at what defines Lionel Hutz the most is simply his uh, incompetence, 
And so I had to I had to rack my brain for a character in Frasier that is simply and utterly just um, hapless. Hapless, yes. And I'll let you know when I figure it out. <laughs> I, I know it probably seemed like I was leading to someone with all that, but uh, it was it was a Lionel Hutz sales pitch right there. It was maybe to familiarize the audience that isn't as familiar. I've got pulled up Lionel's business card. A great visual gag on the show. His business card, it said, Lionel Hutz works on contingency, no money down. But he wanted to get a new client that wasn't going to pay for him on contingency. So he said, oh, no, no. Gave him his updated business card. Lionel Hutz works on contingency, red pen, question mark? No, red comma, money down, exclamation point. <laughs> if, I could, if I could, I think, so just going by sheer level of incompetence, he only shows up in one episode, but his name is Leo, and he is uh, in charge of wheeling uh, Martin's chair out of the apartment when Frasier tries to surprise his dad with a new chair in the season one episode, Give Him the Chair. And Leo mistakenly takes the chair down to the dump instead of the uh, storage locker, prompting Frasier to go on this sort of adventure trying to find a chair across town and so i think leo is lionel hutz uh the most incompetent character that appears on the show frazier aside from of course frazier himself in many episodes that sort of literally cannot do something right exactly and if i if i could get another easy one father mike and reverend lovejoy not just for uh, both being men of the cloth but both being a low-toned men of the cloth, never really raising their voice above one particular pitch, being very, uh, <laughs> very stoic in their voice levels, let's say. So, uh, Father Mike and Reverend Lovejoy. Beautiful. Um, I think that just about does it in terms of evidence. You've, you've gone above and beyond. You got your Reverend Lovejoy. I think we just want one more character just to bring her home. And because there's so many choices to choose from, I feel a bit like the narrator at the end of the episode, Daz Bus, if you remember when all the uh, Springfield Elementary students were stranded on an abandoned island in a reenactment of The Lord of the Flies. And it sort of put them in a precarious spot. How is this episode going to end? And the announcer says, and eventually all the kids were rescued by, oh, let's say, Mo. <laughs> if you would, who is Mo's equivalent in the Frasier universe? Oh, I, I thought you were gonna ask uh, who the who the narrator was. Which, if is it is the is it a guest narrator or is it James Earl Jones? James Earl Jones. If... Okay, okay. Because I was gonna say James Earl Jones wasn't wasn't an episode of Frasier. Um, Mo. Okay. In terms of not being, let's see. Oh gosh. See, I wanna I wanna put Mo and Bulldog together for their kind of their their tempers and also their kind of patheticness in terms of their their lives as a whole there there are people with um like there's the episode where mo uh kind of goes back to um his mixology school where he learned everything goes sees his old mentor and you see he's actually a talented person underneath the kind of cruddy dive bar uh, exterior that he puts on but at the same time in the in the who shot mr burns episode when he's uh taking the lie detector test and he starts saying what he's going to do on a saturday night and it starts with he has a hot date which uh, ends up descending into uh, he's going to be looking at girls in the Sears catalog. A very bulldog-esque moment. Yeah, yeah. so I think it just is quickness to temper. Thank you, Mo with his shotgun, uh, Mo on the, on the phone with rascalish Bart Simpson, and uh, pairing that with bulldogs 
this stinks, this is total BS, this is a recurring joke that happens uh, in most scenes that have Bulldog in them throughout the show. I think that is my my analog. I've got Mo and I've got Bulldog. That was, I was very impressed this round. I'm going to give you a whopping, you know what, I was going to give you 599 US dollars, but I think we're, we're going to go even above and beyond. We're going to give you 699 US dollars. If I, if I may, um, how about 686 US dollars? As I, if I remember correctly, that is the amount of one of each of the Monopoly bills. It is. 686 for a Snake Eyes roll. You've just earned it, man. <laughs> and we'll throw it over to one more break for sponsors, and then we'll hit up round three. The following skit is for comedic purposes only and does not reflect a sponsorship of the discussed product. The views and opinions expressed by this podcast are not endorsed by the following company. This is not a paid advertisement. Hi, my name's Alex. And I, like many other people here in the United States of America, have occasionally bought Sprite before. It has been a, a drink that I have not only imbibed, but actually paid good, honest American dollars for. And when recently, uh, when stocking a, a bar for uh, my, my own wedding, I bought several liters worth of the, the incredible, the, the tasty, the lemon-lime flavors of Sprite. And I was given the opportunity when I realized that no one actually unloaded everything that I had bought in terms of bar mixers from the trunk of my car. And I was left with several bottles of, of Coke and Sprite and cranberry juice that never actually got used by the bar. Even after a very, very tired groom went up to the bar and asked for a, a rum and Coke and was told they were out of Coke. But I was left with a decision. Do I take this Sprite? And do I take it back to Target and try to get a couple bucks back? Or do I go ahead and maybe drink an entire two-liter over the course of a single night? And being the red-blooded American male that I am, you better believe that I drank that entire two-liter over the course of a single night. And I am still going to the bathroom because of it. And I think uh, I think that about sums up uh, exactly what Sprite can do, not only for only for a, a, a wedding reception, but also for uh, emptying out your bladder repeatedly over the course of a 24-hour period. Sprite, the best way to empty your bladder. And we're back. We are about to kick off round three. Alex, it's been a long and arduous journey to this point. Do you think you got enough in you to complete the lightning round? Well, let me tell you, I think I've got enough Sprite in me to uh, maybe make one more trip to the bathroom before we get started. Uh, do, we, do we have time on the clock, or should I hold it? You know what? We're not going to have a lot of time on the clock, so if you can just clench that bladder a bit longer. <laughs> okay, All right, here, we, here go. we go. As soon as I finish speaking, the clock will begin. Name as many Liam Neeson movies as you can. Okay, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. I, um, uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Uh, we're gonna go with nonstop. We've got taken. We've got unknown. Uh, we've got um, walk among the tombstones. Uh, we have got cold pursuit. Um, we've got run all night. We've got taken two. We've got taken three. I uh, we have um, I um, Batman Begins. I uh, we've got uh, let's see. Let's see, uh, Commuter, um, I almost called it Liam Neeson on a train, I, oh, let's see, I've got 12, um, other, other Liam Neeson. All right, strong number, you ended up with 12, uh, you're missing a couple big ones, but I mean, he's just been in so many big movies that it's tough to fit them all, you've got Clash of the Titans, oh. it's follow-up Wrath of the Titans. 
You've got the Lego movie. I forgot. Uh, yeah, he played the the cop in yep, the Lego good movie. Cop yep. and bad cop. You've got the Dark Knight Rises. That's right. He did cameo role. Yep. I don't know. Did you mention the gray? I did not mention the gray. That was a uh, darn darn a team. How did I not say a team? <laughs> All right, well, with that, you end up with a, a nice little chest of Smags coins. In your hoard, you've got 1,831 coins. 1831. Can you name anything that happened in that year? 1831. Uh, was William Henry Harrison president then? Um, I'm doing the math in my head, but... Uh, J- James Garfield was born. James Garfield was born. Okay, okay. And James Madison died. No, James Monroe. Okay. Me. I... Is that the, I, I remember, I actually just recently saw it on a, a hoodie, but I think, was the University of Alabama, was that founded in 1831? It was, April 18th. Hey, all right, there we go, all right. Uh, wildly impressed that you pulled that out. Uh, we award you no additional Smags coins, but would like to offer you a coupon for some Sprite Zero Sugar. I will take it. I will happily take it. All right, Alex, well, we happily have had you on an episode of Smags. Thanks for playing today, and uh, let's kick it over to the leaderboard and find out where you land. In first, Alex, 1831. Second, Andy, 1671. Third, Jimmy, 1050. S-M-A-G-S. I'm Alex, and I got Smags.